This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Good morning. This is Mike Lord, your host for Tabletop Genesis. This is Ellie here. Hello, everybody. This is Simon. And this is Tom. And we are one down today because uh, Ms. Stacy did a half marathon yesterday. Yeah, she ran the Philly half marathon, so she's um, lying in a pool of her own... Sp- no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> she's recuperating, yes. let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a special episode for this month. This is an interview with Mike Keneally who is a wonderful musician. He is a guitarist, keyboard player, singer, writer. He probably plays stuff that I don't even aware exists. And he came to prominence or to well-knownness, if that's a word, which is is not, I know that, Uh, playing with Frank Zappa back in 1988 on Zappa's last tour. Keneally was the second guitarist on the tour and has put out, starting in 92, with an album called Hat. Hat! Thank you for buying hat. Uh, he's had a series of solo albums which are wonderful. Uh, they're not particularly Genesis-y in any way, shape, or form, but Mike is a is a consumer of music. And he loves progressive music, he loves music of all type. A musical renaissance man. Exactly. And so we've interviewed him. He, on the Progressive Years website, mentioned at one point seeing Genesis back in 1977 on the Wind and Weathering tour. And I had met Mike previously uh, through his music. I'm a big fan of his music. And we were able to connect, and I wrote to him asking if he'd be willing to talk about his love of Genesis for an interview on the podcast. We want to thank Mike so much for taking time to talk to us. We actually spoke to him in uh, early November at a show, or was it late October? I can't actually remember now. <laughs> I should have these dates in front of us. But he did a show at the New Jersey Prague House in the afternoon. It was a two o'clock show. And so we were able to talk to him afterwards, and he very generously gave of his time to talk about this. Uh, how many of us actually are aware of Mike's music? I certainly am. I actually got to see him on that last Frank Zappa tour. Excellent. We were, uh, he was playing at uh, a place called the Brighton Pavilion that's on the south coast of England. At the time, I, uh, I, I had no idea... Um, of you know who he was, at, I don't know whether or not he was you know he wasn't a solo artist at no, the time. No, he wasn't. Um, I think didn't he, he was in he was in a few bands though. Yeah, in, su- in Southern California where he lived, he was in some bands, but I don't think any anything that put out albums or had any kind of any any knowledge outside of Southern California. I would say. Well, Mr. Keneally, if we've got that wrong, please contact <laughs> us. Um, 
and uh, smack us around the head. But right. yeah, no, I saw him on on that tour, and I was uh, I always remember um, the, the 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 final encore they did was a version of Stairway to Heaven, right. where the brass section took the guitar solo. Yeah. And I, I just thought to myself, what a tremendous waste of Mike Kennedy. No, I didn't sort of say. <laughs> but it was, um, it was, I just remember sort of like being very, very um, uh, stunned and, and awed. Because I, at the time, I never thought Zappa would tour again. Right. And I've actually still got, there's, I've still got the, uh, the, the tour program oh, in, in my cupboard just across the way very there. Cool. Uh, so there's a, a picture of a, a young, fresh-faced yes. Mr. K. Um, uh, doing uh, doing his um, uh, his stage acrobatics on stage. I think he was like hired as stunt guitarist. Yes, that was uh, nice. Zappa's term for the second guitarist in these uh, in these settings, so that it worked out well. And so he was a stunt guitarist. Steve Vai had done the same job in the past. Adrian Ballou, Warren Cucurulo, Warren Cucurulo. Yes, Warren Cucurulo. <laughs> I always stumble over that name. But he did, Keneally did a great job with Zappa and has put out these albums since then that are very strange in a lot of ways, but also very mainstream in a lot of ways. He really runs the gamut of a variety of music, a variety of styles, and a variety of approaches to the music. He, I mean, he really epitomizes the, um, the eclectic musician and writer. Yes. Well, one thing I, I have to admit that I, I was not very familiar with, with Mike or his work, uh, but one of the good things about being in this community and knowing people who do know him is that you know you share a love of one type of music or one group or mm-hmm. several groups. And when they say, oh, you got to hear this guy, Mike Keneally, you get to learn from them and from friends who say, oh, check this album out or check this album out. And it kind of yeah. opens you up to like, well, I trust their music tastes. If, right. if they say, go check this guy out, I'll check this guy out. And uh, I think I had read, was it was it Mike who had sent frank zappa like a tape or something of him doing all his songs or something and then zappa in, in mike was like anytime you need somebody i forget exactly the story i th- there might have been something like that i th- i think the story i heard was that like a lot of musicians they actually ended up just calling up the house and kind of saying hey i'm a musician i do x y and z and frank would either say come on up or i don't need you right now and he would give them things to try. And I think that, I don't believe that Mike reads music, but I think that he w- he knew the music in a way that Frank knew that he could play it. Um, so I think that was the, like, how they connected. And and Keneally stayed in that Zappa orbit for quite a while. He played with uh, Dweezil and Ahmet in Z, uh, which put out two albums in the early 90s. And those are both worth seeking out also in a very different way than, again, Genesis or even regular, or even Frank Zappa type material. So there's a lot of great stuff out there. Like Tom, I, I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't very much aware about Mike and Ilya. I was aware of Zappa, but I, I got to know Mike through Mike Lord. Through me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, through the Ed Palermo shows and so on. And we, we, so we've seen him you know, solo playing in different venues in New York City. And he, uh, again, he's such an ec- eclectic musician, and you know mm. it's so. So this is, this was a great discovery for me, right. Mike and Lee. So thank well, next, you. Next time you guys go see him, I'll come with you in the Excellent. city. Excellent. Mm. Sounds like a plan. For me, one of the things that that really hits home, uh, my my love of Mike Keneally comes chiefly from uh, his the Beer for Dolphins albums. Yes. Although I do love the solo albums right. he's done as well, but I, I love the way that he marries this sort of pop sensibility with this 
very, very idiosyncratic um, uh, approach to songwriting. So with that, we'll now let you listen to the interview. Enjoy. This is Mike Lord, and I'm here with Tabletop Ellie, and I'm here with our guest, Mike. This is Mike Keneally, who is a wonderful guitarist, songwriter, musician of all sorts, and he is a longtime Genesis fan, I would say. Is that correct, Mike? That is correct, yeah. Excellent. So, we are here talking after seeing Mike in a strange afternoon show Mm -hmm. in New Jersey, which was great. And uh, if you haven't listened to Mike's music, you should seek it out now, because <laughs> turn it, this, turn off this podcast, yes, exactly. and look for it now. <laughs> so, and what, like, I wouldn't say that your music your music doesn't sound like Genesis. No, I, I would. I mean, if most longtime fans of Genesis, like going back to the early days, if they were like to to call up some sort of mental image of what does Genesis music sound like. There's probably a Mellotron wash in there. <laughs> yes. Um, and that doesn't happen in my music too often. Right. Mine tends to be a, a bit bumpier. Right. Um, but there's certainly, I would say that there's, I, there are probably several passages in some of the things that mm. I've written that I, I could, you know, trace the lineage back to something that Tony Banks wrote. You know? Right. Exactly. Just in terms of chord progressions. Right. There's that feel to the music. A feel. A, yeah. A, a, yeah, just a sensibility or something yeah. that, that, you know, maybe just drops you in in a pasture for a second. Yeah. You know, so. something that's, that's kind of bucolic, but also, you know, has some melancholy to it. Yeah. That's kind of some of the things that come to mind. And my, my stuff is maybe more jovial and, and bizarre and sometimes abstract and certainly, obviously, Zappa influence. And, uh, and melodically, you know, it's, it's more naughty as K-N-O-T-T-Y. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I would say you could probably trace a more direct Gentle Giant influence on my music. Sure. And certainly a, uh, some aspects of uh, Keith Emerson even and some right. of the stuff that I write on, on keyboards. But as much as I love Genesis, I wouldn't say that that much of it has, has leaked in. In your life history, let's go back far now, mm-hmm. Where, what do you remember from your childhood just as getting into music for the very first time? What's your first real musical memory that you have? Probably, well, my dad was whistling all the time, and he, right. and he happened to be a really good whistler. Okay. Um, it's a, a story that I always remember is that once these are back in the days where you would routinely drive through the bank, you know, it's like, <laughs> right, yeah. got to go to the drive-through bank window, right? And and he was whistling with a cigarette in his mouth, perfectly, <laughs> right. and uh, and the and the bank teller was like, "How do you do that? How how are you able to whistle with a cigarette? That's fantastic you know, that he could whistle with a cigarette in his mouth." So that made an impact on me. But he just had like. Beautiful, you know, really nice tone and, and great pitch to his whistle. Okay, but he also could sing really well, and he would sing along with the radio and change the lyrics. Okay, uh, he would like change lyrics just to pop standards from the forties and and put his own kind of uh, sometimes risque uh, lyrics to them, <laughs> as dads do. As dads do, and that that had an impact on me, I'm sure. Um, and then just whatever records my mom and dad were playing on the big Magnavox console in the, right. in the living room, a lot of kind of middle of the road stuff. Right. But 
in addition, I was getting the, the normal kind of kids' records that you might get in the 60s, including the Chipmunks, which had, <laughs> I, that, I didn't realize that I was, you know, listening to semi-advanced recording techniques. I just liked <laughs> the sound of the Chipmunks. Right. Um, and then, probably when I was about six, I started getting really hooked on AM radio. And okay. I, and I loved, uh, the first record I ever bought was a, a 45 of the song Hair by the Cow Sills, which is actually, I don't know the last time you heard that song. But it's a really intricate, elaborate, interesting arrangement. Okay, it like changes up uh, the the approach and the and the, the the kind of even like the genre and the style radically. And mm-hmm. you know the vocal harmonies are ridiculous. The castle okay. is a really talented bunch of people. Uh, but the main thing was the Beatles because right. I had a, a teenage sister and she was you know it was the '60s and she was a teenage girl, so she was right. a Beatles fan. <laughs> right. Um, but then when the Beatles got quote too weird unquote <laughs> for her liking around about Revolver and then certainly Sgt. Pepper she got off the train but that was right when I fell in love with the Beatles okay. I, and I got really obsessed with the Beatles yeah. uh, to the annoyance of all my family members <laughs> I was so I was so obsessed with them I, I probably would have felt guilty or sad about even picking a favorite back then but <laughs> nowadays I would have to say I just have a, a real strong connection to specifically the U.S. version of Rubber Soul. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. So how did you first get into Genesis, to get back on the Genesis track here? I would say probably Circus Magazine in, okay. the, in, the, in the 70s. For some reason, because yeah, I was buying Hit Parader and I was buying Circus, and this was pre-internet, obviously, okay. so the, the only real way to find out about music beyond whatever the radio was was turning me on to sure was magazines okay so i would buy rock and pop music magazines uh as every month when they would come out and circus for some reason had a specific they seemed to have a, a real drive to promote genesis okay. and no other magazine was right and i remember they put peter gabriel uh i think it was like a, in watcher of the skies uh mm-hmm. face makeup uh, on the on the cover, big close close up of uh, of Peter Gabriel, and uh, and this, and around seven, 1974, I think was when this article came out, and so they were specifically promoting uh, Lamb Lies Down. Right. And I read the article, and I was fascinated by it, and then I I went to the records shop and I saw the album. I hadn't heard a note of it. Right. But re- having read this article and then ha- looking at the album, I started develop- devising these elaborate fantasies. What might this record sound like? Sure. To the point where I was like, I, I looked at the album once, and I remember going home and trying to draw the album cover from memory, <laughs> just from having looked at it in the record shop, and then imagining what is this thing going to sound like? Right. So I had this thing once once a month. I would go and buy an album. Okay. Uh, Save up your pocket money. If I, no, if I remember correctly, as my my parents were so cool. Once a month, my mom would give me the money to buy right. an album. That's very cool. Yeah, and then if I had any extra money, I might go and supplement my my collection and buy right. something myself. But generally, you know, it was just like, oh, it's it's time for my monthly album. Okay, that's cool. And uh, and in one month, I said, I'm I'm going to take I'm going to take the plunge. Right. And it was a plunge because it was a double record. So I was like, you know, I'm, all I know about this band is what I've read about. Right, them. pictures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I brought it home. And I played it, and it didn't sound anything like I was expecting it okay. to sound like. I couldn't really describe to you now what I thought it might yeah. sound like. Um, but I was absolutely, I was, I was completely uh, sucked in. I was totally 
uh, absorbed uh, by the, the the story in the right. gatefold. And then, did you actually? Were you actually able to concentrate enough to read it all the way through? Oh, I devoured it's, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was I was able to make my way through it, and I like the fact that you know within the first you know paragraph he he called the readers dummies, and I said, <laughs> yeah, all right, exactly. well, this is cool. I, I I can get with this guy's attitude. Yeah. Um. And uh, and so I was like, they rewarded my attention right away. I was like, okay, so there's all of this shit to absorb. There's like right. all this text. That's fantastic. Uh, so I'm like, yes, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to dive into this world. Right. And so I, I dove in feet first. Yeah. I've always said that The Lamb is an interesting album to get into with Genesis, wherever it is in the catalog for your, when you're a fan and getting into this, because it doesn't sound like any of their other albums. That is true. It's very unique mm-hmm. in kind of, and not only because it's a double album, but just it seems like the style of recording it was of the texture of the sound. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, in in retrospect, you know, I can hear they were probably trying to record a lot of stuff very quickly. <laughs> right. So it, it's not as lush a sound as, as a lot of the, a lot of the right. so it's it's it's, it's a, like a little more harsh, a little more angular, but it's good. Yeah, and oh, yeah. you know, and then and the you know, and the more you like dive into it, you realize, holy cow, Rutherford's playing his ass off. Yes. Phil Collins is playing his <laughs> ass off. Yeah, uh, and the and the writing is great you know yeah. and it's like uh, whatever difficulties they were going through as a as a band yeah. at the time they were all, really all kind of firing on all cylinders yeah. there steve hackett has you know numerous beautiful moments on yeah. that album you know banks is is obviously great and peter gangville is obviously great on that record yeah. you know um and uh, and so i was just like yes take me this is great <laughs> um and then I, you know, as I started diving into the to the back catalog and stuff from that point, and you know, as you say, finding that it sounded very different. Right. Um, at some point, I didn't I didn't buy Foxtrot yet. Okay. I, but at, at some point, I realized, wait a second, this song "Watcher of the Skies" that's Genesis. I had heard that song on the okay, radio. Okay, sure, sure. But you grew up near New York City, right? You were well. No, I was in San Diego by this point because I, oh, okay. I my my, my uh, I was born in Long Island. Okay. But. Okay. My family moved from for my mother's health reasons. My family moved to San Diego okay. for the climate in 1970 when I was, oh, okay. when I was okay. eight. So I'm virtually a Southern California. Okay. I had eight years of being a Long sure. Islander. Okay. Uh, so, but and I when I moved to uh, San Diego, you know, uh, in 1970, that's when we I got a nice stereo in my room finally, and I discovered FM radio. There's this thing <laughs> called FM radio. Right. And my recollection of FM radio is that a guy might say, "Oh, we just got this album, uh, Islands, by King Crimson. Let's. Uh, I'm going to play side one." And he probably, right. probably just put the needle on and went out in the hallway and got high and let the whole <laughs> thing play. Right. Same thing with Tarkus. I heard all of side one of Tarkus sure. on the radio, sitting right. in my bedroom. And I was an organist. My first instrument was organ. Okay, right. So when I heard Keith Emerson, I said, "You can't do that. That's not loud. <laughs> you can't play that on an organ. I need this." Right. And so I became a Keith Emerson obsessive at okay. age nine. Right. Um, <laughs> That which is when I first heard Zappa too, and, I, right. and for different reasons I became super sure, obsessed yeah. with Zappa. But you know, and and I remembered at that point when I started like backtracking and filling in the holes in my Genesis knowledge. Oh, I remember now. I got Genesis Live. That was my oh, second sure, Genesis okay. album. Was Genesis Live? Yeah. And when I heard Watcher of the Skies on there, I said, "You're kidding!" And, you know, I heard that 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 big right, Mellotron right, intro, yeah. and I remembered hearing that on the radio and right. being haunted by how beautiful this band. it was. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. I, yeah, I know these guys. Yeah. That's great. But nothing of the sound of the band on Lamb Lies Down tipped 
that that was the same right. guys who did Watcher the Sky. Exactly. It's, it's very different. But when I realized when I got uh, Genesis Live for like two ninety nine at the, at the <laughs> right. show, so oh, that's cool. Uh, and then I you know I played that, and again there was this weird little story on the on the back cover. Yeah. You know, not as uh, as elaborate and and uh, enormous as the as the Lamb Lies Down story, right. but still like that that what I was beginning to recognize as this is Peter Gabriel's sensibility. He's right. really weird. <laughs> yeah. And that's fun. And then uh, you know, put the needle on, and all of a sudden that Mellotron blasts out. Oh, it's those guys! I right. love this song. Yeah, it's so. great when you make a discovery like that. Like, oh, I already liked this music. I didn't know it already. I didn't know yeah. who I was liking, and then so that that was like that. I was already pretty like I was so down with Lamb Lies Down. I listened to that record a lot, yeah. and then when I realized that the same people were responsible for this song that I already previously liked, then. Yeah. You know the so the the love si- the love circuit was completed yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, do you have what are your musical moments that from Genesis that you go back to and listen to, or that kind of you know when you think of Genesis, what are the songs? What are the to- what are the bits that kind of jump out at you? I really, I'll tell you, I, the 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 most enjoyment in the last several years that I've gotten from listening to Genesis. And this, these these remixes are demonized, <laughs> right. and in some cases justifiably. <laughs> I really like the remix of Duke. Oh yeah, sure. And I always really really like the Duke album. Yeah. I like all of it. I'm not an elitist <laughs> oh, about yeah. about pop songs. You right. know, I think a good pop song is fantastic. Good right. on you for having written a good pop song. Misunderstanding is a really good yeah. pop song. That was the song <laughs> that when I got Duke in probably when I was 15, 16, put it on my stereo and played the album. And when Misunderstanding came on, I was like, I know this song. I remember this song from back in the day. I didn't know it was Genesis. So right. yeah, it's, it's again, different era, but a very similar thing to your Watcher story. Yeah, it is very similar. Yeah. And, and, and I remember when Duke came out being just relieved because <laughs> I, I'm, I didn't, at the time, have great love for... Uh, and then there were three. Sure. I was like, "Why does this album sound so soggy and distant?" <laughs> right. And it seems just feels uh, like it just it feels like indistinct somehow. Yeah. You know, even like the, the when "Down and Out" comes on, you know, and the the whole intro sounds kind of like it's far away. It's like, "Come here, come here, music." <laughs> and then and then the the you know the weird odd time groove kicks in, yeah. and you know you know me, I love odd time yes, grooves, exactly. but I didn't find that it was grooving. Oh, it okay. felt that weird ass uh, pattern that Phil came up with for that yeah. song. It felt it felt like it was just like interrupting at the end of okay, each sure. bar. It's, it's just like right. it's it sounded to me like uh, difficulty for its own sake, and I, okay. I couldn't find the, the musical purpose for. It. And then sure. the, the melody going over everything. It all just sounded like busy and and. Uh, uh, cluttered, yeah. To and and then a million miles of pounds of, of reverb on, on the top of it, it just it just felt indistinct, right? So and then as that album went on and on, I was like finding wow, these I'm not really connecting with this album, and and you know and I loved Wind and Wuthering, but somehow found that I didn't quite connect with that album as hard as I had with Trick of the Tail. Sure, okay. Trick of the Tail, I I loved. Yeah, it's kind of I'll go off on a tangent. You're sure, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Imagine we that, do I imagine that happens on this time. show. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Lamb Lies Down is in my collection. I love it. Genesis Live is in my collection. I love it. I get Nursery Crime. 
And I, I say, I can recognize the rawness of that. Yeah. But I love it. Uh, Harold the Barrel made me really oh, happy because yeah. I was a big Python fan. <laughs> and to, yep, to yep. me, that was like you take Python, you take Prague, and you mash them together, you yes. get Harold the Barrel. And, and so that, you know, of all songs on that album, too, like Obsess on, I, you know, the two minute song. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the musical box was is yeah. enchanting and fascinating and stuff. And then, uh, so I'm listening to KGB FM radio, and every Sunday would be when you know they play the new music, right? And they'd say, "Okay, well, we've got this new Genesis album in, and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to play this for you, and and, and and see if you notice anything." Okay. <laughs> for some reason, I I didn't know anything about Phil Collins being the new okay, lead singer sure. in Genesis. I knew from reading Circus Magazine that that uh, that Peter Gabriel was was you know having. I, I, I'm trying to like search through my memory banks. I may not have even been conclusively aware of the fact that Peter Gabriel had left the band. Right. So he plays Dance on a Volcano and and uh, to my still relatively untrained ears, you know, like maybe for the first two months of my Beatles fandom, I couldn't quite tell the difference between John's voice and Paul's voice. Sure. Um, to my relatively untrained ears, something sounded a little different, but <laughs> right. you know, Phil kind of sounds like Peter Gabriel yeah, on that, right? Sure. Um, and so I'm listening to Dance on a Volcano and going, well, this is this is fantastic. You know, I love that song. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, I wonder, you know, it's, it's, something's different, but what's going on? Yeah. And then he goes, well, that was, there's, you know, Peter Gabriel's not in the band anymore. That was Phil Collins singing. I was right. Like, what? You know, <laughs> exactly. Like, like, shocking. And so I went out and got that album right away and completely fell in love with Twi- yeah. Trick of the Tail. It's a great one. Completely so, fell yeah. in love with it. And then, uh, and then I was shocked when Wind and Wuthering came out so soon. Yeah, I was like, "Wow, these guys are on fire!" <laughs> and then I got it, and I, I, I didn't dislike it by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I thought that it almost felt like they the mix that they they were rough mixes or something. Okay, like when right. I listened to Eleventh Earl of Mar, it didn't seem to have the the, the impact that it should have. Sure. You know, I, I recognized in listening to it. This is a strong composition. This is a yeah. re- really good song. Performances are good, mm-hmm. but there's something about the recording that's letting down the song. Sure, you know it's like even the the, the climax of what should be the climax, Daddy. Yeah, it feels like it kind of goes, Daddy. <laughs> you know, it's, no, that should be Daddy. You know, that right. should, that should be terrifying. That should be tragic. Yeah, and it's a, it just kind of hits and goes away. And yeah. I, I was like. The, that didn't engage me emotionally the way it should. Right. And then one for the vine came on, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's awesome." You know, <laughs> yeah, one for the sure, vine was great. Yeah. And then uh, your own special way again. I got nothing against pop music, but it's good. <laughs> but I was like a little puzzled by the electric piano uh, uh, interlude, yes. and that's like, okay, our let's... our observation was that <laughs> my observation I will say is that that's a song that I I like the verse. Oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the chorus. Oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. It should end then. <laughs> well, and it you're, goes on. you're ready for the single edit. Right, right. And yeah, it goes yeah. on for six more minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't need to hear this chorus 18 times. Right. So. And then, what gorilla? Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I like instrumental music. Right. It, it, it just it, it just kind of felt a little aimless. And then, yeah. and, you know, and again, the mix is just really, really weird. Right. And plus, uh, I realize now... 
that it's you know that you know it's like whatever however long side one of Wind and Wuthering is thirty nine minutes or something because mm-hmm. they were making long records. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm exaggerating, but it's at least like a twenty seven sure, minute yeah. record side. That when you get to uh, what Gorilla, that the grooves are crammed yeah. at the end of the side. Yeah. You know, the, the the end of a long side is always going to sound worse than the the beginning of it. So that's already a busy song with another one of these kind of. You know, crazy yeah, uh, the, Phil Collins drum yeah. patterns that 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 are technically impressive, but don't exactly groove. And then mm-hmm. there's a weird echo on the synth sound and stuff, and it, it all just kind of sounded like my stereo was breaking. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but then you know you get to what's the what's the first thing on on side two of, of Winter Mother? Uh, it is All in a Mass's Night. All in a Mass's Night. I thought that was a really charming song. Yeah. I thought Blood on the Rooftops is. Incredibly beautiful song. That's yes. like you know one of my top three favorite Steve Hackett things. Right. And then uh, you know, and then the instrumental stuff, which is which is great. And it's like so. And then Afterglow, which is a beautiful song. Right. Beautiful song. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I recognized when and Wuthering as a as a thing of great quality, but the, right. but there were still some some things on there that I thought just felt a little half baked. Uh, and then when I was saying, well, let's see what, what they do for the next record. Right. And then they, they shed another band member. Right. And it happened to be one that I really liked. Yeah. You know, sad to see Steve Hackett go. Right. But, you know, I like these, I like these guys too. I'm very, very right, willing yeah. to give them the benefit of the doubt and see what they come up with. And they came up with this album that, you know, I keep returning to the word soggy. That album <laughs> sounds really soggy to yeah. me. And, uh, and I didn't think that Mike had the, the presence as a lead guitar player to really take the sure. place of Steve. And, uh, you know, now when I listen to it, that, and that's, again, that's another album where I, I find it benefits from the remix. Yes, that and Wind and Wuthering, I agree, both, I think, benefit from the remix. And, so. But where this all started was, yes. was Duke. <laughs> yes. I, I, at the time, I found Duke to be a huge relief after, yes. after and then there were three. I was like, I'm, I'm, I hope this record is good. Yeah. And I loved it. But I did find again sonically that it, it felt like it, it didn't quite get all the way there. Like okay. you know, the, the performances are great, the writing is great, the arrangements are great, the songs great. Yes, yeah. vocals are great on Duke. I think that Phil Collins is great. Yeah, all the way through it. But it's again, it just kind of felt a little flat. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the remix is uh, just it, it it pumps. You know, yeah. it's and. I know that it's, it's it's compressed to hell, and I know that it's the, that a lot of people are really upset about it. But for certain albums that I think needed that extra help yeah. uh, to have physical impact on me, like when I'm listening to music in the car, mm-hmm. uh, I find that the remixes of Duke and and then there were three. Like I'm my estimation of of and then there were three has gone way up right. as a result of the remix. Right. And with Duke, I already had a very high estimation of that record, but it just like it gets me off more now. Yeah, it cleaned it. it the remix has cleaned it up and not in a bad way. It's no, they, like, just, they just they just they like yeah. removed some surgical gauze from yes. the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. So, so how about post Duke? Did you? I'm 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 cool with Abacab. Okay. At the time, I really liked Abacab when it right. came out. I was like a, a proponent. Of, of the whole thing from start to finish. Sure. Last time I listened to it, which is probably within the last year or so, I, I did find that maybe you know uh, there might be some stuff on side two that's that's uh, that isn't as in, as inspired as it ought to be or, right. or something. Um, uh, what's the what was it like it or not? Yes. Yeah. That's the Rutherford song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. Actually, when I listened to that. Uh, that album not too long ago I think that Like It or Not just kind of sat there for me 
Yeah. But for some reason, very recently, like within the last week, maybe, uh, I was inspired to hear that that song, and I just went online and I just listened to that song and I, and and I, it, it like grabbed me as it's a, a thing just by itself. Okay. So maybe I, I just didn't find that within the flow of the album it, yeah. it, it was because that's like the second to the last song or something yes and then it goes and then it goes into another record which yeah. I, again it's like I think maybe I, that album just felt, feels like it's the gas tank is starting to run a little bit low sure, yeah. towards the end yeah. and I got nothing against another record as a song I think it's, right. it's kind of cool and weird yeah um, it's uh, but maybe there was one more blockbuster thing required toward the end of that album to really bring it home right okay but I had actually the first time I heard another record was the B side of the British Abacab single. Like sure, I had, I okay. had the Abacab single for a, maybe a, more than a month before the the US okay. album came out, and so I knew Abacab as an edited thing, and I thought it was a pretty cool tune. Yeah, uh, and then I knew another record as a B side, and I thought, oh, this is a cool B side. Uh, Some yeah, songs yeah. really live well as B sides, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I thought another record was like. Perfect B-side material. Yeah, I so can see that. so then when I get, that probably it's interesting. This is like a, a, a therapy session. <laughs> that that probably we looked at it the same way when we yeah. get together and talk about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that probably and as as you're learning, like I'll babble endlessly. No, that's, that's all good. Good. The uh, it, it's funny with Abacab, and, and talking about getting like it or not now. Like i I'm a big proponent that music touches you in different ways at different times of your life. Clearly, and some things when you're a kid, and when you're a kid, you're like, "Oh, this is great," and you revisit it, and you're like, oh, what is "What I used to like this," <laughs> but that, and there are some things that are consistent, and then there are things that you look back on and say, "Like, oh, I used to not like this so much, but now for whatever reason, maybe my life experience is caught up with this music, or the music caught up with me, or whatever." Mm-hmm. It, you have that that experience now. Yeah, this, absolutely. So. Well, and and then there's just to go back and and hear something that you grew up listening to. And then maybe haven't heard for forty years, <laughs> right? And, and then bring a lifetime's worth of experiences to to it when you hear it now. So it's it can you can connect differently to all aspects of the music, including right. the lyrical content. Like when I was young, lyrics were pretty much just you know arbitrary uh, you know shapes of right. of linguistic stuff that formed melodies. You yes, know, I wasn't sure. as focused on the actual content of the lyrics, but. You know, you go through life and you go through crap and things happen <laughs> to you and you get beaten down and picked back up again and then all of a sudden you understand more of what is going on in these songs. Right. But I'm I'm always gratified when I he- when I hear something that I loved when I was a kid and I hear it now yeah. as very much a not kid and find that I still find it valid, you know. Right. I can dig into it more, understand more about it now, but right. I, I'm like gratified that I wasn't misguided as a kid to like this stuff. Right, yeah. And then there are other things that when I listen to, I think I was misguided as a kid. Right. <laughs> but Genesis is not one of them. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so, then, so did you dive into the solo careers of any of the band members? Um, I did. I, I mean, I, I, had, I, I got Curious Feeling. I got okay. Small Creeps Day. I got, okay. uh, I'd say, the first two Phil Collins records. Okay. Um, and uh, I was with Steve Hackett all the way up until... Cured, okay. and I wouldn't say that I was that uh, Cured put me off. I, I I think that the album after Cured was didn't receive a domestic release in the Probably US. Probably that was Highly Strung. So, and I think no, I'm right. wrong. Okay, Highly Strung. Oh no, the one after that. Well, Highly Strung was 
probably released here and then till we have faces there was kind of a gap mm-hmm. the 80s began to like steve was pretty regular for a while yeah. and then the 80s kind of you got got detoured in some ways yeah I think, well, that's so. what he did. yeah um, <laughs> it was the 80s the 80s everyone was just under mass hypnosis on yeah. <laughs> um but uh i and then anthony phillips i was yeah. i was really digging his records yeah. uh a lot and still do i was just, a lot of them have been re-released recently yeah, I, I, I mean, in the car, I was listening very recently, just before this tour started, mm-hmm. uh, to the first two private parts and pieces, oh, and yeah. to Wise After the Event, which is a real, real yeah. big record for me. Yeah. I love Wise After the Event. Excellent. Yeah. So, Matter of fact, I went full geek, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, from various uh, pieces, uh, assembled a playlist in iTunes of the alternative Wise After the Event uh, original <laughs> running order. There you go. So yeah. I, that's, I haven't even done that myself, so maybe you can take over in our podcast now. So, um, you saw Genesis for the first time in... 1977, Wind and Weathering Tour. Okay, so, and you were, how old were you Let's see, I, I, would, uh, I turned... 16 in December so I was 15 okay yeah. so and and so what are your what are your memories of that primary memory well, the, the, the first uh, in chronological order I remember sitting in the audience waiting for the lights to go down and getting smacked in the face by a frisbee really oh, hard God. you know I'm just sitting there going I can't wait for the show to start and then the next second pow, blinding uh, light and my glasses are in my lap and what the fuck just <laughs> happened and uh, I had been hit in the face with a frisbee so uh, that was a uh, uh you know, that's right. Welcome to Genesis. And Welcome to Genesis. <laughs> and then they got on stage and they were just oh, they're just absolutely on fire. Right. You know, just sounding so good. Uh, I loved everything about the show. Every song that came. Yeah. I, I found that, that uh, the, the stuff that they were playing from Wind and Wuthering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be, became more uh, vibrant and vital and exciting and alive. Right. It had the balls. It, it had needed. the balls that it, that I wasn't finding on the record. Right. Uh, so that stuff came came to life for me, and and then he he starts going into this uh, Romeo and Juliet. Monologue. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and by that point, I had Selling England, and so you know, I figured that he was probably talking about uh, the cinema show, and right. then but then he says supper's ready. Now, I had not obtained Foxtrot yet. Ah, okay, sure. For whatever reason. I had all the other records except for Foxtrot. So I had not heard Supper's Ready. Mm-hmm. So my introduction to Supper's Ready was at this concert. Okay. I knew of its status as an epic mm-hmm. and, and a legendary thing. I said, oh, wow. I, I was very excited to finally get my first exposure to Supper's Ready at this concert. It destroyed me. It, it absolutely <sighs> pulled my, my, my brain to pieces. And I'm sitting there with my brother, and I have a real distinct memory in somewhere in the middle of Apocalypse and 9-8 of us just looking at each other and going, what is happening? <laughs> How is this possible? I mean, it's like, I didn't, I, 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 I don't think I had, uh, like, sussed out the, the pattern. Right. I didn't realize it was, I didn't know it was called Apocalypse in 9-8, so right. I didn't realize that it was in 9-8. I didn't realize it was, bum, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, because yeah. the... The way the melody sits on top of it mm-hmm. is, um, it, it it's it's like somebody going, look over here, look over here. It it it, it right. sort of like distracts your attention from sussing out what the right. the constant thing is, which is this this rhythm you know pattern that goes right. over and over and over again. The way the uh, the way the melody sits on top of it 
makes the backgrounds feel like this never-ending, undulating, constantly shifting, impossible thing. Right. So in my head I'm going, how do they memorize this? How do they play this? How is this possible? It yeah. just it just felt like this ongoing, you know, just spinning out eternally unmemorizable thing. Yeah. And then uh, there's like a kind of a stop time thing that happens in the live arrangement that they didn't mm-hmm. do on the record where it just kind of gets quieter. There's like boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, yeah. Boom, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And I remember that as a moment of of uh, I was it was chilling. Yes. You know, it was so good. It was so good. And then when Phil's vocals kick in, it's six, like... Six, six, yeah. You know, and then he's obviously in really good voice yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, I was I was so happy. I was yeah. so happy. Yeah. And I'm, I remember not knowing... I was thinking, how is uh, how's Phil Collins going to deal with uh, with playing the drums and singing? I didn't realize that they were carrying a, another drummer right, with them. Right. And then to find... You know, Zappa freak, that it's Chester Thompson. Thompson. Exactly, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Right. You know, yeah. and and even, you know, as a fan, you sometimes make connections. It's like, oh, I wonder if this favorite musician of mine likes this other favorite musician of mine. Right. So, and then uh, to realize that that my Genesis world and my Zappa world kind of had this connection. <laughs> I think I may have even noticed because the, the, don't they do the the more trouble every day drum yes, fill at the in, one point in Afterglow, yeah. <laughs> I think I must have you know recognized right, when they did yeah. that. I was like, yes, right. right. Yeah. A little reference there. Yeah. The, so. <laughs> so did you find your talk about with your own music right now? Like your last two albums, Scambot One and Scambot Two, are kind of a concept album, mm-hmm. you know, telling a story. You talked about the Lamb being the first Genesis album that you got. Were there any, were there any lessons that you learned from listening to the Lamb, a, sto- a concept album, a story album? I wouldn't point? say that there's anything specific uh, sure. that was specifically conscious about that. I, but I will say that when I think about concept albums, you can either get a, a, a bit uh, complex and and layered and mm-hmm. textured and not too explicit right with the way you present the the narrative and just the information or you can be really simple about it and right. i and and i was i was never a big it, it seemed like a, a lot of concept albums were like could could be just an opportunity to present the big statement in a not particularly subtle or yeah. frankly interesting way yeah and i thought that lamb lies down in presenting all of this surreal information, you know, and I, I and I could really care less if anything is coherent. I'm not sure, that interested sure. in coherence. Right, sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interested in it in in adventuresomeness yeah. and uh, and things that are intriguing, things that are new to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, and Lamb Down was definitely that. And I and I and I did certainly in constructing Scambot to date. I've I've wanted the narrative aspect of it to just be intriguing, you know. I yeah. just want it to be interesting, and I don't, and I don't want it to be just like. And then, you know, whoever stood on top of the mountain and, and said, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, the, yeah, sure. I'm, 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 I'm interested in more unusual things and, and something. Right. Okay. So, uh, I, I, there probably was some of of that, but I also don't. Mm-hmm. I, 
I, I want things to be clear, you know? Yeah. I do, I don't want, like, I always found Tommy to be sort of infuriatingly uh, imprecise about exactly <laughs> what is going on yeah. at the end. What's the story? Yeah, here? you What's... know what? I, 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 would pref- I would prefer that when you get all the way through a... Uh, and uh, an album like this, a concept album that 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 uses up a lot of the listeners' attention and, and interest, you know, and goodwill in a way, yeah. that there's some kind of reward at the end. <laughs> right. And I didn't necessarily feel that with Tommy, and it, honestly, I didn't necessarily feel that with the Lamb. Right. I don't. I don't think that it is is the most satisfying possible, yeah. uh, you know, resolution to all yeah. that. But at least. This, that's not your face, it's mine. At least it's something right. that you can the point Im- to and say, that's a thing that happened yeah. and I understand. Yeah. And then the consciousness goes back and forth between the two and then right. they blur together and then and, you know you realize, well, it's just, you know, it's just this weird fantasy. Scambot, and especially since you know it, I'm uh, envisioning it as a as a the three part thing. Yeah, I still want the end of each volume to be satisfying in its own thing. Sure. So when you listen to Scambot one, there's it you know it's it's moving. You can tell that the the plot is advancing. It's not a resolution. Yeah. But it's to me satisfying. At the end of Scambot two, it almost could be the end of the story. Right. You know, just in case. I do get, you know, a helicopter falls on me or something, and I'm not able to, to do Scambot right. 3, I could point to the end of Scambot 2 and say, that satisfies me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for helicopter. Good. And eventually Watch out. Scambot. I haven't seen any flying around here <laughs> okay. recently. So, the, uh, well, we've been chatting for a while here now, you know. Is there anything to wrap up that you want to talk about with Genesis that we didn't talk about or, you know, anything that really connects with you? There's there's some really great stuff to be found by concentrating on Mike Rutherford's bass parts. Yes, and I don't think he necessarily gets the props. I would agree with that. You know, so, yeah. it, it, I th- I think that you know too many people once once there was a Mike and the Mechanics to be distracted <laughs> by, right. they just decided not to think about that stuff yeah. anymore. But the you know the reality is there's some really nifty bass playing on those records yeah. and and his tone is killer yeah you know especially on wind and weathering i think that mm. you know the remix of that really brings that out in a positive way that's cool so, yeah that's cool i'm so, actually next time i listen I'm, yeah. I'm, i want to i want to listen to 11th earl of more loud the 5.1 mix and it'll be it's okay really crazy sweet so, so uh, actually one thing i forgot to ask you, okay jumping back to this is you there are two cup Genesis covers that I know you're involved in the back in New York City, right. and there's a t- version of Timetable mm-hmm. that you did. What was it about those two songs that jumped out at you, or that made you want to kind of be involved in covering those? Back back in New York City was uh, that was Kevin Gilbert's right. uh, thing, and and he actually that was his project, and he just you know done at the same time that we also did Siberian Cut True for, right. for the Yes thing. 
And he just said, I'm going to do Siberian Couture back in New York City. <laughs> you want to be on those? And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> so it, I, I love Back in New York City. I think it's a yeah, fantastic yeah. song. But that was that was uh, Kevin's choice. Okay. Timetable is a song I've always really, really loved. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a sleeper. It's not one that mm-hmm. gets as much attention. It just kind of tucked away after you know the huge epic Watcher of the Skies. Yeah. And then there's this little more quiet pastoral piano yeah. thing. And I always just thought, what a beautiful song that is. And I and I can imagine a, a different treatment of it yeah. using guitars more. And so when I was contacted in the late 90s originally by a guy who was doing uh, another Genesis tribute a, a couple of years after the Supper's Ready one yeah. that we mm-hmm. did back in New York City for, there was another guy uh, who said, okay, I'm doing a Genesis tribute. Will you do a, a song? Sure. So he provided a budget and a studio. And I did this arrangement that, you know, combined a, a definitely different sort of rhythmically approached version of timetable uh, with the uh, with Apocalypse in nine eight. Right. I, I stuck that in there. Yeah. Um, and I, I played that melody on guitar and keyboard because mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to play the Apocalypse in nine eight melody on a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did a medley of the two of them and I was really happy with it I yeah. was like I listened to that and I thought that's you know that really has some validity to it I, I think I you know I, I, I went somewhere new and I came up with an arrangement that I was really pleased with it got great performances from Brian Beller and Toss Panos right. on drums they, they, they played killer I thought my vocal was, was fine <laughs> uh, and, I, and I you know pretty proudly presented that recording yeah. and it didn't get used on the, on the, the project right that's it and he never even explained why. And I yeah. thought, does, does he not? Does he not like it? I think it's pretty good. Yeah. But it just sat there for mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Until my friend Chad got in touch about the uh, the Katrina Benefit okay. album after the rain, and I was really happy to to, to you know yeah. offer that track and, and right. for both for a good cause and then also to rescue from the archives this. <laughs> This Genesis thing that I thought had some some yeah. you know real merit to it, so excellent. I'm glad it got out there. That's too. So any final words to <laughs> wrap up? Uh, just I'm I'm very pleased that you asked me to do this, and that I'm yeah. always down for an opportunity to, to geek out about music yeah. I love. Well, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time totally to do welcome. this. Thank we you, really Mike. appreciate this, and uh, so we'll be signing off now. talked on the evening as I mentioned after the show that he did so again thank you Mike for giving us your time uh, Tom what did you think about the interview since Ellie and I were there we now get to interview you about the interview I, I have to say I think he's vying for one of our jobs he, he I was so impressed with how much of the minutiae he even knew about oh, Genesis yeah. like I mean he, he was a true fan I mean everything from knowing the B-sides to the singles from 
30 years ago yes. to you know just collecting the albums and, and knowing everything about them and and how one is produced and, and not produced and then putting together his own collection of anthony phillips yes. alternate versions <laughs> yes he, he did uh, he mentioned that the album you guys all heard this but the the album uh, Wise After the Event, Aunt Phillips' second solo album, has a kind of a, a lot of alternate tracks on it that have been issued. And you can kind of build your own version of that. And so when he mentioned, when Mike mentioned he did that, I was like, I really thought to myself, oh my God, he should be a member of our <laughs> podcast. I always believe that any man that who can take a frisbee to the head in the name yes. of Genesis <laughs> is okay with me. Indeed. So yeah, so Mike was great talking about all this. And as we mentioned during the interview, Mike's most recent album is called Scambot 2, which I think in my question or chatting with him about it, I called it a concept album, but it really is a, a loose story, mm-hmm. less than maybe a full-blown concept album. But it's it's something that's really great. Seek it out. Seek out all of Mike's music, honestly, because you will be a richer music appreciator. Your ears will love you for the rest of your life. Yes. And it may seem a little dense at first, and like a lot of music, it bears repeated listening. And at some point, I am a true believer that it will click with you. And I think that if you give it the time it deserves... You know, there's a lot of good introductions. I'll probably put out on Facebook a couple recommendations if you're looking for introductions to his music. Chatfield Manor. Chatfield Manor, you know, off of Sluggo. Sluggo's a great album if you're looking to get into Mike Neely. I think his album that he wrote with uh, Alan Partridge. I said Alan Partridge. (laughs) That's that's the wrong Partridge. (laughs) So from XTC is... Andy Partridge. Andy Partridge. (laughs) Called Wing Be- Wing Beat Fantastic is fan is a fantastic album. So seek that out, seek them all out. You again, you will appreciate it. This is Mike signing off for this interview. Ellie signing off. This is Simon. This is Tom. And Stacy signs off by proxy. <laughs> so we will return next time with another episode. You'll just have to listen to find out what it is. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically and magically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis. And you can also email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. Yeah.